1: and we are finally back everybody welcome back to the irish breakdown podcast it's friday it's a little later than normal but uh we needed to move things around so i could be on the show today because i have missed being on the show i've missed all of you missed ryan even a little bit i think ryan maybe maybe missed me a little bit uh but we appreciate your patience and prayers and everything that's been going on this week but we are back ryan it's been a uh been a crazy week obviously but uh we're back ready to talk some nerdy football man and You know, uh, you and I have talked a lot about just this team and the bye week, and we had a lot of things planned for the week, and they kind of got thrown out. But what we want to discuss today is just Notre Dame coming out of the bye week. And the reality is this is a football team that has a chance to really make a run here over over the next eight games. Every team on the schedule is beatable. There's a lot of teams on the schedule that can beat Notre Dame. If Marshall can beat Notre Dame, there's a lot of teams over the next eight weeks that can beat Notre Dame. So we're going to discuss sort of where Notre Dame is, the areas that we think they need to improve upon to become a team that can go out there and beat the rest of the teams in the schedule because, like I said, they're all beatable. But whether or not Notre Dame can beat them remains to be seen. And and I know there's a lot of excitement about what they did in the last game offensively, but, Ryan, i got to see a lot more than blasting the worst defense possibly in Power 5 before I'm ready to say the offense has turned a corner, but at least it was a step in the right direction.
2: Yeah, it was a massive step. I mean, we we've been kind of talking about it, right, Brian? It's like after the first two games, you have to start seeing exponential growth because it was not it was just Notre Dame was not in a good spot. And then even the Cal game kind of left you wanting more, you know, like it was a nice victory, but it was something where like the offense was inconsistent and still kind of you know, just was not the peak or the the step that you wanted them to take in that football game. Defense has been okay in spurts, but in large part, I mean, it's just been a very inconsistent approach the first three games, and you saw glimpses, I think, of in the in the North Carolina game how good this team can be. You know, it's again, they didn't pull it out for a whole portion of the game. They still need to kind of find the level of consistency, but you saw good defensive points in the game. You saw high-level mm-hmm. football on the offensive side of the football. You saw the steps that you need to take. For me, it's just exponential growth each and every week for right. that long.
0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's
1: it's we saw a glimpse of what this offense is supposed to be, right? We saw a glimpse of it, and so you know. This is kind of what what uh, you know some I I it's funny, like noted two weeks ago or a week ago, noted a lot of people in this chat, a lot of Notre Dame fans didn't think that they could beat North Carolina. Now it's like they're gonna beat BYU by 30 and they're gonna and it's just like, hey, can we pump the brakes? Cause there's still a lot we have to learn about this football team. And you know, North Carolina is a very good offense, a very bad defense. And again, one game doesn't mean that you've Arrived, You've turned the corner. You're all of a sudden this great football team. You know, it It means that you've started to take a turn. Now, have shown to be a pretty good football team. You know, uh, their offense kind of blew up. The, Notre Dame shut their run game down. A week later, they go out and run for, you know, almost 300 yards against Arizona. Jade Knott has all, you know, over 200 yards. You know, could that be just because Notre Dame's really good? You know, we've seen Marshall struggle. I think they've lost both of their games since playing Notre Dame right? They're, they're 0-2 since playing Notre Dame. Ohio State has blasted people since playing Notre Dame. I think we can all agree that Notre Dame is not nearly as bad as they looked against Marshall. And that was the frustrating thing, right? It's like, well, the, the, because of how they played against Marshall, that's who they're going to play all year, and this team may go 4-8. and eight. A lot of that was just nonsense, to be honest with you. But I understood it. And just because they blasted North Carolina doesn't mean Notre is going to go on this run where they're just going to blow everybody else out over the next eight weeks. And that's kind of, it's like, hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit and realize that this is a talented football team that still has holes, but also has the potential to get rolling. And I think, Ryan, that's kind of what we want to discuss today, is what are the things that they got to continue to improve upon to get better? Because if they play like they did against North Carolina the next eight weeks, they're going to win at least five games, at least five games, right? I'd I'd argue you'd say maybe maybe six. But look, BYU is still going to be tough if they play the way they did against Carolina, because, again, big plays, mistakes, missed opportunities – the points you left on the board against North Carolina get you beat if you leave those points on the board against BYU or Clemson or Ohio, or USC. Right? The, the mental mistakes you made, again, on defense against North Carolina can get you beat against BYU, Clemson, and USC. So we're going to discuss about those aspects of it, and we're going to discuss just areas where this team needs to continue to get better, Ryan. And let's start on the offense, because I think that's the side of the ball that is the problem. The defense has been far from great, Ryan. It's been good, but I think we both agree that this team is two and two because the offense hasn't come to play the way it needs to so far this season.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's It's been it's it's – it's been a really kind of Jekyll and Hyde team so far, Brian. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's something where the offensively you saw against North Carolina what I think that you were expecting kind of all year. I mean, at least in the preseason, like you're expecting – hey, Notre Dame's going to be able to create some explosive plays. You saw, like, the long touchdown to, Z- to Lorenzo Styles, for instance. You saw a-, a few explosive runs off from the running backs. You know, like, you saw Audra made with a few chunk plays. You saw Logan Diggs with a couple chunk plays in the passing game, including one for a touchdown. It's just, for whatever reason, the first few games, though, it seems like everything was just kind of hard for Notre Dame. You know, like, nothing came easy. Every big play they made, it was like it, – it, like, it was just – they, I mean, you, cause you were there for the Marshall game, right? It's like Notre Dame got a five yard run and it felt like they had a 20, it felt like it was like yeah. for 10, 15 yards. Yeah. You're just like a 5 yard run should not be that difficult, you know, right. like the, against they, Marshall. Exactly. Yeah. It was just, it, for whatever reason, everything looked incredibly difficult. Now against North Carolina, it looked a lot easier and there's some mm-hmm. reasons for that. Right. One is I think Notre Dame was more efficient. I think they, they did their job much better for what they can control But then they did play against a bad defense. They did. Right. right? So, but I think for me, it's the efficiency needs to definitely improve. You need to be able to create some explosive plays. If not, this three yards, four yards in a cloud of dust mantra, like it's not sustainable. Right. Like I just don't think that this is a sustainable way for Notre Dame to win. So they need to create explosive plays. You saw it more in North Carolina. But again, it needs to keep continuing throughout the season now, consistently.
1: The reality is, too, Ryan, is. Look, yes, North Carolina is bad, but there's a lot of plays out there that, that Notre Dame didn't make against Cal that weren't about Cal. They yeah. were about Notre Dame. I mean, Cal didn't do anything to make Drew Pine throw the ball into the ground. They didn't make it, you know, miss Michael Mayer on the seam. It didn't do any of those things. It didn't do anything to cause Notre Dame not to pick up certain twists or stunts. It was more about Notre Dame. Having said that, against Carolina, they didn't make those mistakes. When those opportunities were there, they did make those plays, and that's the key right? That's the key of this whole thing is, you know, look, the opportunities are going to be the opportunities were there against Ohio state. They didn't make the plays. The opportunities were there against Marshall. They didn't make the plays. They started to make those plays against Cal, right? Especially like late in the first, the first half and then the second half. And then for the most part, they missed those opportunities. But again, even against Carolina, there was the, you know, Michael Mayer wide open on the sideline, you know, missing that play, uh, you know, different things like that. But so the reason I, I, the reason I'm nitpicking the Carolina game a little bit is because, Really. folks Notre Dame has not arrived yet this year and that's a good thing right that is not the best of what Notre Dame can be they left at least 17 points in the board and should have kept Carolina 14 points off the board just Notre Dame mistakes were a 28 point swing and turned what should have could have been a 63 to 17 game into a 45 to 32 game right and that's the point that we're trying to make is this team needs to get better but more importantly it can get better Yes. And I think that's the important thing to look at. And that's the exciting thing. And that's what the focus will be on today. And offensively, I think that's the biggest area. If the offense simply just take, gets, you know, plays way better and the defense just stays where it's been, Notre Dame goes, at, at, in my opinion, at least six and two down the mm-hmm. stretch, at least six and two, potentially yeah. seven and one. In order for them to run the table completely, they both have to play better. But offensively, Ryan, I still believe. For all the stuff about Tommy Reese's game plan, the first two weeks and it was bad. Mm-hmm. The play of the quarterbacks, the first couple weeks, first three weeks, really, and it was bad. The play of the receiving core, the really even still. I mean, you know, we're talking about a, a wide open seam route and a couple little slide routes is about all the receiving core did last week. It was better, but it, it's not like it just shows how low the bar was coming into this last game. And we're excited about it, yeah. but the reality is, is the the, the key to the the last. One and a half games, really seven quarters, was the play of the offensive line. Their poor play fueled the struggles of the beginning and their improvements over the last two games, however, because of that. Right end of the day, for all, we're talking about a lot of things. That's still the one group that's got to continue to play better. It's capable even more than what we've seen, but it's been very good to see the last two weeks and them start to take a, a turn, kind of turn that corner sharply. And they're, they're going to need that group to be dominant in the, the last eight games.
2: We, we've we seen the game evolve over the years, Brian. I mean, obviously the further we get into this like passing league that we're kind of seeing now in the NFL and not, and still trickling down to the college football, it's become more wide open manufacturer space type of type of game at this point. But the one consistent, I think, no matter what area you're playing in is that teams with really good offensive lines are usually pretty good football teams, man. Like that's, that's, per, that's like the baseline of everything, right? Like it's, it's not a coincidence that when Notre Dame's offensive line plays better their playmakers look better. Their quarterback play looks better. Like that's not a coincidence folks. It's not. And you Imagine saw, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. When, when, even when, I mean, even just recent history of Notre Dame, like when is Notre Dame been good when they have really good offensive lines? Like it's again, right. it's not, it's not a coincidence. And I think you yeah. saw again in the Cal game, things start looking a little easier, a little bit easier than the first couple games. What was the, what was the, what was the, the movement forward, right? Offensive line play better. And then, Offensive line wise against North Carolina, it was the best they looked all year. And again, there is an asterisk next to this game, right? Like it wasn't. We don't have to keep saying it. But they did what
1: a good offensive line is supposed to do against a bad front seven, and they dominated them.
2: They did dominate. Yep, yep. From from start to finish, it was the best game that we've basically seen from every player up front, in my opinion. Like I don't think that there was an offensive lineman that you could look at and said like he was the same or he took a step back. Like for, for in my opinion. From left tackle all the way over to right tackle, I think every player showed monumental improvement during the North Carolina game. And I think that that's why you saw the explosive runs. I think that's why you saw Drew Pine get more comfortable back there. Because let's be honest, Drew Pine basically didn't get touched all day. I mean, he honest – I mean, it was a great, great exhibition of pass blocking. They got a pretty consistent push up front. It was a step in the right direction. So it's not a coincidence – that your offensive line is starting to play better and your offense is now also starting to play better. And that's the biggest thing is when you look at what we thought could be a real big strength of this team, Brian, like in the preseason offensively or defensively, we're like, hey, man, there's a lot of talent on the offensive line. With Harry Heastan coming in, that's a unit that we need to be able to depend on if you're Notre Dame. And Mm -hmm. in North Carolina, it certainly showed the makings of a really good offensive line. But again, you're going to be playing some better defenses coming up here. So you need to continue to have exponential growth because that's the way that you're going to be able to win some of these games.
1: The confidence I have in this group starting to turn the corner not only comes from the dominance over North Carolina, and they could have run for 400 yards in that game if they wanted to. I mean, they they really could have. I was glad to see them because what's the one thing you and I warned against going into that game? We warned against the notion of don't just go out there and bully North Carolina because you can still strive for yeah. balance, you know, and they, and they did that. I mean, I'll commend Tommy for that. They did that. They didn't just come out there and say, look, these guys stink. We're just going to run it through them. We're going to just get out of the bye week with a W or get out of the week. You know, this game with a W go to the bye week and figure some stuff out. They started to figure stuff out last week. So they did have, I mean, Drew Pine did throw 30 plus passes. They still did run the ball. Now they built around the running backs, a lot of that in the past game, but they took their shots down the field. They didn't, do what they could have done to win that game, which is grind it out, you know, slow the clock down. I mean, they took some shots. I mean, even early in the game, I mean, the 39-yard gain to, to Logan Diggs and different things where that was clearly game planned for that opportunity. That play was designed to potentially free him up. There were some shots that were designed in that game, so it wasn't a conservative game plan. I was happy to see that. Yeah. But none of that necessarily is where my confidence comes from. My confidence comes from because for the last really two-and-a-half quarters against what I believe is a pretty good Cal front seven, they were pushing Cal around. Mm-hmm. Like That's what I like to see because that's a much bigger D line than Carolina. It's a much better coached defensive line than Carolina, a lot stronger defensive line than Carolina. It's not as athletic as the Carolina kids, but athleticism isn't what I'm worried about with this nerdy offensive line. It's, it's can they move people. And so that's really that combined with the North Carolina game is what gave, gives me confidence, Ryan, about this offensive line. If it was just Carolina and they'd struggle for three weeks, I feel way less confident that that was a real turnaround. It was yeah. what they did against Cal for me that said, OK, it's what Kerry Heastan is teaching them is starting to show up on Saturday. And that's a blessing.
2: And the last two defensive lines and just front sevens that Notre Dame has played are much different styles as well, too, Brian, which I think also gives you hope because it's like, you know, you went into the Cal game. We talked about the Correa kid at nose tackle that's like 335 pounds. You talked about the two inside linebackers, Jackson Sermon and number 10, that were good football players, but they're more physical downhill players. Notre Dame in the second half, they dominated that that front seven. They did, and they really, in my opinion – flash the physicality that they need to be able to move bigger bodies and to be able to be confident at the point of attack the game against north carolina while they might not be nearly as technically sound or as strong as they are they do have a lot more speed to your point right they are a much more bendy uh, you know kind of explosive front seven and notre dame matched the speed in that situation and they also were able to maintain that physicality so it shows me that that there's There is growth happening up front Mm -hmm. because you go from one week to a power-based team, you dominate them in the second half, and then you go into a more explosive, kind of twitchy defensive defensive Mm -hmm. unit, and you're still able to do the same thing just in a different kind of perspective, right? So I think that the last two weeks are really good signs for the offensive line. It really shows you – I think it showed you a lot of hey, the offensive tackles that we thought were gonna be studs. I thought against North Carolina you really started to see them both put it together. I mean, Joe alt has been fantastic the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And oh, then you yeah. saw I, I think that the biggest biggest takeaway and the thing that has me the most positive is that I thought that was easily by far the best games I've seen Zeke Correll and Josh Lugg play this season by a yep. landslide, right? Like they played good football, and I would argue. That Jared Patterson might have played the best game of his career. Like I would go was that pretty far, good. man. Yeah. I thought he was really good the in that football. The only
1: reason I have a hard time saying that is because of how bad Caroline is. <laughs> That's fair. But you That's know fair. what the thing about Jared is? This was this is the game, Ryan, and, and, and this is where I'm going to come from on this one. It was without question the best game he's played at guard. He's only you know he's only played two really or three, <laughs> but we saw why he moved to guard. In this yep. game, because what this game allowed him to do is move a lot more and it allowed him to, to, to get in, you know, on, on some of the movement blocks to pull. It allowed him to work to the second level a little bit more, it allowed him to just come off the line and drive. That was the thing for me. This is the most physical game I've ever seen Jared Patterson play. And that's that can some be somewhat independent of who you're playing. You can yeah. see a guy really ripping his sips. You can see the guy really get movement. And as a center, it can be harder to do that. And I think that is that is what I would say is definitely his most physical game, and definitely was in, in, you know indicative of okay, here's why we moved him to guard if you know from a coaching yeah. standpoint, because his athleticism flashed in this game, and, and considering he's still coming back from the foot injury, is a great sign. He's not 100 percent yet, so yeah. I thought that was a big sign for me. And him and Joe Walt together are really impressive. The thing I liked is for the first time all season. We expected the right side to be the movement side. Big old Josh Lugg, 6'7", 316. Blake Fisher, 6'6", 325. That's the side we expected to move people. And for the first three games, they didn't move anybody. The success they had in the run game against Cal was mostly based on the center, back to the left tackle, more so the left side. Zeke had a couple nice plays here and there. What we saw in this game is Zeke continues to ascend, right? I think he's gotten better each game. He was not very good against Ohio State. He was not very against against Marshall, but still better. He was yeah. good, but inconsistent against Marshall or against Cal, and he was just flat out good against North Carolina. He's gotten better each week, and and I think that that the big thing though is the right side moved people. Yeah, for the first time all season, we saw the right side move people again. It's Cal, or I mean, it's UNC. So I need to see it against BYU and Stanford and you know Syracuse and moving forward, but that was a positive sign. And I hope it wasn't just because of who North Carolina is. I hope it's because of that group is just starting to figure it out, playing together. But yeah. if that's the case, Ryan, then we're going to be okay here with Notre Dame because the offensive line still has to fuel everything. Right. And well, that's going to be a big key.
2: I think the second half of BYU, Brian, like I, I mean, against BYU, the second half against Cal, I think that really kind of infused a little bit of confidence. If I, if I, mm-hmm. I really think so, you know, like, I think that, for the first time all season, Notre Dame offensive line-wise was kind of like, hey, guys, we're, we're we're pretty big and we're pretty physical mm-hmm. what we want to be, right? Like we can do this. And I think that you saw Blake Fisher with a little bit of a pep in his step in this past game. You know, like you saw him smiling after plays where he just dominated dudes, right? Like you see there it just looks different from that He played like right? someone
1: who had been in, who got embarrassed.
2: Yes. He yeah. played
1: like a guy that has a lot of pride in himself. And I mean that in a positive way that Flack got embarrassed with how he played the week before the two weeks before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, like you said, Ryan, he played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, like, yeah. like, and not like in a negative, like, you know, late hitting guys. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or, or, or playing dirty. Like, oh yeah. You yell at me. I'll show you, I'll drive this guy to the ground or hit him in the back mm-hmm. or some immature thing like that. It was like, you know what? My, my pride got challenged. My, my game got challenged, you know, my manhood got challenged, so to speak in this week of preparation. And I'm going to go out and show everybody that I'm still Blake Fisher. I'm still the most talented dude here. I'm still, you know, and there's things he's got to improve upon. As you said to me after the game, like he's still too inconsistent, but see, that's the stuff I can live with because again, he has six starts under his belt. This, the North Carolina game was just his sixth career start. I can live with, okay, he missed his assignment on that one. Oh, he didn't move his feet. Well, no, that's stuff I can live with. It's when he looked lost, confused, not playing physical, that's the stuff that bothered me because that's not indicative of, of experience. So that that stuff was the positive for me, Ryan. It was I can live with the mistakes. I can for a kid who's made, yeah. who's made six starts. He still doesn't have as many career starts as Joe Walt had coming into this season, right? So that's gonna there's gonna be a little bit of that, but it's just less and less each game is really where you want to see with Blake. But the physicality is was better. I thought he was more patient in the pass game, but more physical in the run game. And that's a big thing for Blake in my opinion.
2: Yeah. And, and I think Brian, for me, like just kind of the, the over encompassing thing about this offensive line is Jared Patterson looked like he was starting to get into a nice rhythm. You know, like he looked physical. He looked like he was confident in what he was doing. It was great step coming back from injury. Zeke Correll and Josh looked at exactly what we talked about all, all off season. Like they just need to be good, man. Like they just need to be solid. Mm-hmm. You should, I don't want to notice those cats. Like, They're fine. They're solid. They're good football players. They do their job. What you've seen now from the tackles, though, is what we've been so excited about. You know, like you saw, you've seen the flashes now. The last two games, game and a half of Blake Fisher, when he wants to be great, or when he's when he when he plays with a little bit of an edge to him, he's a dominant player, man. Like Mm -hmm. it's all there. And I really, I mean, again, Notre Dame has not played. They played against a good Cal defense and they played against a bad UNC offense. So you need to see it at a much higher sample size. But Brian, we're seeing, in my opinion, Joe Walt starting to ascend into being that guy that we thought he could be right. Like potential all American Joe. Waltz. Like I think he's right. playing that well over the last two games. Now it needs to be for a full season for a full scope of games, but you're seeing the two young guns at offensive tackle, especially in my opinion, they're really starting to ascend to the talent level that we know they have, which is, it's great to see. It's absolutely great to see.
1: Ryan, I know you didn't do this on purpose, but that was a great segue to my next point. I We're see. going to talk about the quarterbacks and the running backs and all that kind of stuff. But I don't care that they had success offensively against the a terrible North Carolina defense. Oh, the offense looks great and the scheme was good and all this kind of stuff. It is even more inexcusable with how bad Carolina is that you didn't play Tobias Merriweather for a single frigging snap. Not one not one. And here's the thing that bothers me. I do know this to be true. They worked on stuff with him during the week of the last two games and had a package for him. I'm told that by multiple sources. Why are you wasting reps with that? If you're not going to flip them playing, it is inexcusable in my opinion. Now, what we're going to hear is the trust thing and I'm sorry, this offense will not get to where it needs to get to if they don't play their best players. And if Tobias Merriweather and Eli Raridan aren't major focal points of this offense moving forward, if they don't continue to make Chris Tyree a key focal point of this offense, because shocker, as they've used Chris Tyree more, the offense has gotten better and Audrick has been better and Logan has been better when they're countering off of Chris Tyree. If we don't see Tyree continue to be what he's been the last couple of weeks, it's been good so far. But if we don't then see Tobias Merriweather and Eli Raritan, not only playing, but getting the football, this team cannot reach its full potential. And if, if Tommy Reese is going to continue, and look, I've defended Coach Reese a lot. I like Coach Reese. I think he's got a lot of talent and a lot of potential as an offensive coordinator. But his stubbornness that is rooted in his growing up under Brian Kelly has got to flip and go. If the offense is too complicated for Tobias Merriweather to earn a single snap, he's not the problem. You are. And okay. I keep hearing this stuff about, you know, look, it's it's got to be – Got to trust you to do the right thing. We have a small margin for error. Blah 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 blah. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, you're telling me Tobias can't allow himself to get outplayed for a hitch on a hitch route that goes back for a pick six and a loss. He he's not. You can't trust him to do that. You can't trust him to drop a crossing route on a third and four. You know, in a game where you know you're you're trying to go out and move the ball, you can't trust him to block somebody in the back for to negate a long run by your quarterback. You can't you can't trust him to what go half speed on routes that he knows he's not getting the ball, like we're seeing from Lorenzo Styles. You know, like that's – you can't trust him to get an offensive pass interference. Hey, Tobias could go in there and get an offensive pass interference against Ohio State and kill a drive. He's more than capable of that, right? <laughs> this whole thing of, like, I got to trust you, none of the receivers that you've put on the field on Saturday through the first four games have, have deserve anybody's trust over another player that has more talent than any of them. That's yep. nonsense. And I can trust – what can you trust Jaden Thomas to do? Run slide routes like that anyone on the roster can do? I think Jaden Thomas deserves to have a role on this football team. I think Matt Salerno deserves to have a role on this football team. Okay, no question. But the fact that they have the, pro- I mean, Jaden Thomas averaging over 40 snaps a game based on what? He's not a great blocker so far. And all he can do is get open on quick stuff that's scheme oriented. He can't, he can't, he's no threat down the field. He gets no separation down the field. He doesn't know how to get run through aggressive coverage. He doesn't know how to get off the line of scrimmage. What exactly is he earned? You know what it is, Ryan? He knows the plays. That's it. That's it. And it's again, it's it comes down to then you you're making a lot of money. You're making seven figures. Right? You turned down this huge contract from LSU. Miami wanted you. Blah, 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 blah. It's not about talent with with Tobias and it's not about talent with, with Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese Mm -hmm. is a really smart guy. He's got to understand that this is still college football and in college football. It's much more about the talent on your team than what's in here for you. And you got to figure out a way to get Tobias on the field. Because at this point in time, the fact that he has zero, zero touches in four games and has only played four snaps in four games is not a Tobias Merriweather problem. I don't care what anybody says. It's a Tommy Reese problem. And it's a Marcus Freeman problem because you're the head coach. You need to go into his office. This conversation should have already been had. And he's going to say, Look, man, I understand he doesn't know the whole playbook. And I understand he's gonna, but we need to live with those mistakes just like we lived with Braden's mistakes and Lorenzo's mistakes and Matt Salerno's mistakes and Jaden Thomas's mistakes. They're all making mistakes, but you know what? None of them are, Ryan. Six four, fast, and really talented. None of them are that. They have zero outside vertical threat. I think Brayden Lindsay can be a big time vertical threat in the right usage, but it's not as a W. Right? It's not as that. And the fact is, is if he doesn't if he doesn't play against against BYU and I'm talking like 20 snaps plus and doesn't get targeted in normal time, then I'm 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 gonna lose it because you're handicapping yourself because you're still trying to show everyone that it's about how smart you are instead of how talented your players are. And if you can't find that happy medium, then you're just you're just not doing this college football. Thing. This is college football, not NFL. Tobias isn't a rookie second round draft pick that signed up had a $700,000 signing bonus. He's an 18-year-old college freshman who's really talented. Just like every – there's not – Ryan, there's not another top team that couldn't get a kid like that to football. Do you see the Williams kid from Clemson? He's making plays. Kobe Prentice from Alabama, he wasn't even their highest-ranked receiver. You know, people talk, oh, you know, Alabama gets these five-star players and blah, 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 blah. Uh, That's not Kobe Prentice. Like, he he was ranked kind of close to where Tobias is. You know, I mean, he was like in the 80s. From everybody, he's not a five-star recruit. You know, I mean, the, the Williams kid from Clemson, right? He wasn't He wasn't that kind of five-star, you know, Jerry, Judy type of guy. He was, again, he was a top 75 to 100 type of player, which is very similar to what, what Tobias is. These guys can get on the field and make play after play, but Tobias can't even get a hitch route? <laughs> so that's my rant. I went on it for a long time. I'm sick of this to be honest with you, Ryan, I'm sick of the players being held back. And in this era, here's something that, that always protected Brian Kelly in the past. You didn't have the automatic transfer rule. You do now. And so if you're not willing to get this kid ready to go, and then here's the thing, eventually Braylon James, Jaden, Greathouse, Rico Flores, Dylan Edwards, and Tayshawn Lyons are going to take notice to be like, you guys keep telling me that I'm going to get a chance to play as a freshman but that dude can't get in the game over Jaden Thomas and Matt Salerno. Guess what, Ryan? Those guys are going to all be back next year. Yep. Right? So what's to say that if the, if the, you're not going to play them over – if you're going to play them over Tobias, what makes us think that you're going to play them over me? Mm-hmm. Right? And so until that changes, then, then this is always – it's going to be the same old story. They're going to dominate teams they're supposed to, like crap all defense like North Carolina – but they're never going to reach their potential as an offense. And that's up to Coach Reese. And if he's willing to make that change, then guess what? This offense is going to explode because it's not just about Tobias and Eli. And we're talking about Tobias. Same is true for Eli Raritan because let's be real. Eli and Holden don't play as much as they did last week if if Kevin Bauman doesn't get hurt. It shouldn't take a kid getting hurt for you to get studs on the field like every other big-time school does. And that's what I'm I'm tired of, to be honest with you.
2: It, brian it's such i think it's such a contradictory thing when when people say you know you cuz you talked about coach reese right like he wants to show you know what his acumen is as a football mind he kind of wants to flash his ability but in my opinion if you're a great coach getting getting a player that maybe doesn't know the full playbook and scheming them open and getting them involved i think that's great coaching man that shows that you are very creative in my opinion right so i think that that's very inconsistent line of thinking very contradictory and i'll say this brian you mentioned a phrase that i absolutely hate you said you said that there is a a smaller margin for error. You know when you mm-hmm. increase the margin for error when you have a six-four wide receiver with vines <laughs> like that's where you increase the margin for error, man. Especially because this is not shade at at Drew Pine. I promise it's not. But Drew Pine does not have the strongest arm in the world, Brian. Right. He doesn't. Right? right. He's not going to hit these crazy small windows. He's not going to do that. You know not what makes you a, right? Yeah, exactly. Against yeah, against teams. the really good teams, like he's not going to hit some of these smaller windows. But you know what increases your chance to complete those those small window throws? Length, athleticism, right. springiness as an athlete. <laughs> Tobias Merriweather is one of those kids that even when he's covered, he's not actually covered. Like he's one right. of those guys, right? 50-50 balls become 80-20 balls with this type of football player. So I hate the you have a small margin for error conversation because mm-hmm. you, wh- who gives you a smaller margin for error? Again, right. I'm not throwing shade at – a, a, a Salerno right now, Matt Salerno, I'm not, but a six foot, 190 pound wide receiver or a six, four, 190 pound receiver, which one gives you a bigger margin for error. I mean, it's just common sense, right? right? And if, if, if this was a situation where, Hey, there are different body types, but Matt Salerno is to this level, a talent wise, and Tobias Merriweather's look right there. They're in the same ballpark. This would be a completely different conversation. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's not a conversation. We know who the more talented player is. We know who the more, lengthy athletic player is it's just it's it's just not great right now man like yeah. there's there's zero there's zero reason in my opinion not to get to vice mayor weather or look he needs to be involved in this offense it's just it's very it's very confusing I don't I don't fully understand it if I'm being honest yeah and I would say
1: the same thing about Deion Colsey getting a role which we started to see at least a little bit he played four snaps against North Carolina in the second half he has been coming back from injury that one I understand a little bit more but that is something that we we need to see as well, Ryan. And, and I think the part of the reason I focus on these two kids is not only because they're the, I mean, the two most talented players you have on offense uh, at the from a pass catching standpoint, like like tight ends, receivers behind Michael Mayer is Tobias and Eli Raritan. Now again, they're freshmen. Yes. You can't ask them to run the full thing, and that's it shouldn't be you know it like a veteran or you don't play. That there's got to be a happy medium, like there is for every other good team in college football. So, you know, for me, it, it's it's about finding that sweet spot because, as you said, Eli and and Tobias are, are both guys that can help Drew Pine out a bunch. They're yes. both guys that this team start to try to find more and more ways to slow down Michael Mayer, which is growing increasingly difficult, you know, with the way that their name has moved him around and just the level he's playing at right now. Those are the kind of guys that can hurt you and give, give Drew Pine that confidence because, as you said, I'll I'll speak as a quarterback, okay? Because that's the position I played. When I have a receiver that I know I don't have to be pinpoint accurate to get the ball to, it makes me a lot more confident as a quarterback, especially when I'm getting pressured. Right. Okay. Especially if I'm not sure of what I'm saying. Like, okay, I don't know what I'm saying here, but I know there's one safety and I got Tobias on one side and I got mayor on the other side. So I'm just gonna read that one safety and throw it where he ain't. Right. Because this is your point. You now put two guys on the field now that. Are dude, I don't care if he's covered, just give him a chance. And we saw that Drew is willing to do that. That was the biggest thing for me that came out of Saturday's game for Drew Pine. It's not that you know that that he's accurate or that he can make c- good reads on slide routes. Like Drew was never the guy that just short hopped two balls against Cal. That was dude making his first start. He was jittery, he was nervous, he played like a guy that was making his first career start and had the weight of the world on his shoulders because Notre Dame was 0 2. That's how Drew played. What we saw against Carolina is kind of what we thought Drew would be. It's why you and I said, Notre Dame's a 10-2 and two football team if Drew Pines is our quarterback. Because we thought he can be that guy. But Drew is not a guy that's going to go put the team on his shoulders, a la Trevor Lawrence, a la Justin Fields or Bryce Young or all these other guys, and say, hey, I'm going to will you to victory with my God-given ability physically. He's going to need the town around him and then let him be a point guard. And what we saw against North Carolina on a couple throws, especially the one of Mayer on that third and 10, is if he trusts you, he will just throw that sucker out to you and let you go get it. There were times he was unwilling to pull the trigger when Mayer wasn't his primary read. When Mayer was one of his first two reads, Ryan, you could see it from the press box. He was like, dude, I'm just going to let him clear and then I'm just going to throw it to him because I know he's going to catch it wherever I throw it. It's and he threw idea. some balls from that weren't on point, right? couple behind him, but Mayer caught it. But then on that third and 10, he just said, throw it up. I'm going to throw it at like nine feet. And, and the only person who catches Michael Mayer, because why? He had the confidence Mayor was going to do that. Now you give him a couple other 6'4", six, 6'6", six, six weapons. And all of a sudden, Drew Pine becomes a much more confident quarterback. And one of the things that Notre Dame is going to have to do a better job of, and this is how it all ties together. Notre Dame has to be a more effective vertical passing team. I'm not saying they need to be a team built around the vertical passing game, but I was glad to see Drew take some chances against Carolina down the field. I was glad to see Tommy Reese scheme some, some shots down the field. I still don't understand why Tobias Mary or uh, of all the receivers you have, why uh, Jaden Thomas is the guy that you're trying to design a backside post to, different conversation for a different day. But at least Drew took the shot and took the chance, and he needs to get it out there a little bit more and all that kind of stuff. But they were willing to take some chances. But Drew, like you said, is not a guy that's going to sit back and launch a 60-yard over-the-top post throw. He's not a guy that's going to drop a 50-plus yard you know outside go route back shoulder like Mac Jones or Bryce Young or Trevor Lawrence. right? He's just not that kid. Drew has a lot of strengths. That's not one of them. But you know what can make him better? Giving him some trees to throw the football to. Like Drew yep. Pine's ideal receiving core was the one in 2018. It was, it, it, and that's, it, that's why that was Ian Book's best year. Ian Book's best year by far was 2018 for a, a million reasons, but one of the primary reasons is is in 2018. And his second best year, in my opinion, at least at times when he was on, was 2019. And why? Because he had Chase Claypool and Cole Komet to throw to in 2019. In 2018, he had Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and, and, uh, uh, a mack to throw to and cole Komet off the bench and chris fink was a great route runner that could knew how to get open but he, he there were games where you could just see ryan he was just like i'm gonna throw it to miles and chase all day right and he had confidence that hey i can just throw it out there and they're gonna go make a play drew needs that kind of help too and there's only two guys at receiver that can give you that right Deion colsey and tobias merriweather like to see, need to see more of them that doesn't mean no Jaden thomas it doesn't mean no matt Sullivan. they should both play in roles, they should both play. They just shouldn't have the prominent roles that they have now, especially Jaden Thomas. But the other, the tight ends are the other guys. Eli Raritan and Holt Stace give you that as well. So you have to build around the quarterback you have now, not the quarterback you thought you were going to have all offseason. Yeah. Right? And and with, uh, with Drew Pine as your quarterback, you need to kind of rethink who you are and say, we've got to get some size in there and – Now, all of a sudden, you've got some size to take the pressure off of Brayden Lindsey. You can now use him on things that he should be getting used on. And I think it allows you to move Lorenzo Styles inside. He has the body of a guy that should be playing X. But for whatever reason, Lorenzo doesn't know how to play X that well. He just doesn't. His production mainly comes inside. And until you can get him there, right, you need to figure out a way to get him inside more. What's a good way to get him inside more? Having more, more outside guys that are legitimate weapons. Because you can't just put him inside all the time, then you don't. You only have one legitimate outside vertical threat, and that's Brayden Lindsey, who's an outside vertical threat on a limited number of type of things. He's not a guy going to put a boundary and say go win off the line, and that's just not who he is. That's not a fault on Brayden Lindsey. You got to use him correctly. So that's another reason those guys can help. It's not just about play your best guys. That's true, but practically speaking, who this team needs to be thrown the football, you need that presence. To maximize your offense, and as the as the running backs become more focal points of the opposition, too, Ryan, those kind of big guys are going to get more and more one-on. I mean, think about it. You got to worry about the running backs. They're going twenty-two personnel. Notre Dame will go twenty-two personnel, and all five dudes are pass game weapons. Who mm-hmm. in the country can do that right now? Who can go twenty-two personnel and line up and go right up and down the field out of empty, or one or a back in the backfield with everybody else spread out? There's not. There's really like what. Georgia, Notre Dame
2: Georgia. was that it yeah I know I was I was really trying to rack my brain because I'm like Alabama only has lot right so like they don't like, have the they could have maybe done it last like, year with
1: Billingsley right last sure. year with Billingsley yeah.
2: they could have done it right Sure. But, you know, maybe maybe Texas, I guess, could do that a little bit. But sure.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Not like Notre Dame could do it. No, not like Notre Dame. That's the point. And so, yeah, it gives you some unique things. So put a Tobias out there and like when you're in 22 personnel, Tobias Merriweather should be your one receiver. But you should at least have Eli Raritan out there. So there's just a lot of different aspects to this, Ryan, that that it's not just about play your dudes and all that. It's also practically speaking. This is who this Notre Dame football team needs to be now that Drew Pines your starting quarterback. Because Drew can win you a bunch of games. There's not a team left in the schedule that you can't beat with Drew Pine. Not a one. It's just, yeah, your margin for error is a little bit thinner. But you're looking at the wrong margin for error as the head coach. (laughs) And I think you nailed that beautifully, Ryan. The margin for error is self-imposed because you're putting dudes who can't get themselves open on the field. That's where the margin for error comes from. I think you nailed that wonderfully when you said it earlier.
2: That's also contradictory, too, though, if we're thinking about it, right? Not what you said, but just kind of that thought process, because if you think that your quarterback gives you a smaller margin for error, why wouldn't you put the more margin for error around him, right? Like, overcompensate. That's that's exactly right. I yeah. mean, it's it's weird, man. I love that you mentioned Eli Raritan, especially with how much 22 personnel Notre Dame is running, because, I mean, it's such a mismatch to have – a tight end that could be a seam runner and a tight end that could be like a short intermediate pass catcher together, right? Like both those guys can do both those things. I mean, Mayor can run the seam. Mayor could be the underneath route runner. I, I know that Eli Raritan based upon his high school film can definitely run the seam, Brian. Like he's a really good athlete, man. And it's so weird because – where Eli Raritan is winning right now is not necessarily where I would have projected him winning early on in his career based on his high school film. You know, like I know there was willingness as a, as a blocker, but like he's Notre Dame wanted him and we were so high on him because of the weapon that he can be in the passing game. We haven't seen him involved in that, in that aspect yet. I think it's going to happen soon. Like I have to think it's going to happen soon where like just off of a play action, you just get a, quick seam throw where you get, you know, off of a delay, just hit him in the flat type of thing. Like, I think it's coming soon. But, I mean, all that to say is, like, you have so much mismatched potential when you have a Michael Mayer and an Eli Rarity together because they can mix and match. They can, both can do both things. Like, they're not one-dimensional tight ends where Eli is just a seam runner and he can't do anything underneath. Like, they can, they both can do whatever they want on the field from an athletic perspective. So using them together, again, increase the margin for error. Six foot yes. four and a half, six foot six. Tobias Merriweather outside, six foot four. Now you're talking about your slot position, which is usually your smaller position being potentially a six foot one Lorenzo Styles, And that's a bigger slot, right? Like that's a little bit of a longer slot. So I agree with you, especially if you think that there's a smaller verge for error with the quarterback, you have to overcompensate in other ways. And the other way, the other ways to compensate is to get guys like Merriweather, Raritan, those guys with massive frames and huge upside athletically, get them on the field, and I, 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 hope we see it. I hope. I mean, I don't know if we will, but I'm, I'm, very much hoping, Brian. Very much hoping.
1: Here, here's something, Ryan. Too offensively. Last part of this is I loved, I've loved what Tommy Reese has done with his backs the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I have, and you know he'll ride like he rode Chris Tyree early. Right, this is like the plan. It's like it's funny. Listen to the BYU game last night, they were talking about it was uh Lewis Riddick was on there. Well, Lewis Riddick played against Notre Dame back when Rocket Ismail was in college. So yeah. he remembered he he played against someone that they had Ricky Waters and Rocket Ismail, and he was spot on last night because Louis Emoji talked talk about this all the time. When Rocket, especially in year two and year three, 89 and 90. They would kind of have Anthony Johnson and 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 Rodney Culver and you had Ricky Waters in 89 and 90 at running back. And they would kind of ride those guys early. And then in the second half, he'd put Rocket back there and they'd run off tackle, they run toss. And it's just kind of like you've been worn down and then they put the burner in. Right. And so you would ride different guys at different times. And we're seeing Tom Reese do that. You know, you're riding a lot of Chris I mean, we hardly saw Aldrick Estimate in the first half. You had one,
2: I think he had one carry in the first half. Right. I think so too. And, it was near the and, end of the end of the first half, Brian. He had that one twenty-nine-yard run. Yeah, and I was like, wow, he's right. only run the ball one time in the first right. half. I was shocked a little but bit. But then the yeah. second half, they come out and they're right more. And I don't think that was a halftime adjustment because we saw the
1: same thing against Cal the week before. It's yeah. you know, Aldrich to me seems like he's wears down a little bit. Like, like like gas-wise, not physicality-wise, but like like he doesn't have as many you know cuz as he's still ascending like he kind of looked a little worn down late in that game against North Carolina which was interesting cuz he didn't play the first half hardly at all. So yeah. I think they're you know protecting his numbers a little bit, right? But I also think strategically it's let's hit him with the lightning first, then come with the thunder. is what they've done so far. And, and I like that. And we, so we saw a lot of 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 Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs early. Then they bring in Audrick and let him hammer a team. We saw the same thing against Cal. I, and I like that they did against Carolina and, and then they did it differently. I think they've altered their run game. They were trying to run a mess of duo early in the year and it wasn't working. They went away from that. They've, they've altered their footwork. I complained a lot about how their counter footwork just was not working. They altered it a little bit. It's still not how I would have it, but it's better. And so, to me, and you saw the timing of counter worked a little bit in this last game. Now, it helped that you're playing North Carolina, who can move off the ball. But you started to see the timing of the runs; they were a little bit more of the stretch stuff. You know, inside zone was still a piece of it. So they're they're building, they're building the run game. They're t- they're still tinkering the run game to see what works because it's got to work for the line and it's got to work for the backs. And so to me, you know, that's a positive as well. So I love what, I mean, so we've hammered them for about, you know, how they're using, you know, not using Tobias, all that kind of stuff. But I loved what Tommy Reese did with the backs this past week, run game and pass game wise, and using those guys as, as threats. And then also here's the big key, Ryan, which we didn't see the first two games at all, knowing when to use them as decoys. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he's done that masterfully the last two games you know, using Tyree on a motion to get Audrick open on a run or using Audric, you know, Logan Diggs on a or it was Audric on a motion that then opens up Chris Tyree for a long. I mean, he's done a great job of that. So that is one thing is if you can continue that and then add to it with a, a more of a little bit Tobias, a little bit of Eli to go with my, you've got two strengths right now in on the, in, in the skill game, right? You got the best tight end in college football as a pass weapon And you've got three running backs that now for two games in a row, you've ridden and they've been really good. So, you know, you got that. So now let's add to it. You know, get Lorenzo in the slot more, continue to find different ways to get Ray Lindsey the ball, get him on those crossers, get him on some climbs, get him on some things like that, but start using Tobias more, a little bit more Deion Colsey, using those guys more effectively in those packages. And then now all of a sudden you're like, wow, we have to defend everybody. And Notre Dame is capable of being that offense, Ryan. But right now, when they're in the when they're in eleven personnel, in a lot of instances, there's at least two guys you don't have to worry about, right? And and you can't be that. You're not going to beat BYU that way. You're not going to beat Clemson that way. You're not going to beat USC that way, right? And for all the people saying, "Oh, you know, you know, Utah, we should blow BYU out because look what they did to Utah State." First of all, Utah State's a decent football team. They're a well coached football team. BYU did still win that game, I think by double digits. And yep. Notre Dame lost to Marshall, okay. Yes. Right? You, know, you know what I mean. So like, they they have they a lot to prove, right? And beating a bad North Carolina, beating up a bad North Carolina defense does not is not your arrived moment. It's a great step. Now build on it, moment. Right. And so to me, I think and and final thing, and somebody just said in the chat, this was the first time all year we saw Logan Diggs be the guy that you and I think he can be. Now that you add him into this mix with Audric and Tyree, as long as Tyree is still the the heart of it, especially early, this backfield is going to be really good, and it gives them something to build around. That's important.
2: I, I think we talked about it on the Upon Further Review show last week, Brian. Like someone had asked, you know, out of the three running backs, or it may, it may have been on the Monday show, out of the three running backs, which one? was the was the you what were you who were you happiest to see have the game that they have and I think that you know your impulse is to say Audric Estimay because of the 134 yards but my initial thought was Logan Diggs, because he's a guy that's been dealing with an injury been dealing with consistency. There's just been it just hasn't clicked yet this season, right? Ryan, you and I had
1: said earlier like do not play this kid until he's mentally right. Because he was not right. And then he didn't play against Cal. Didn't play Mm -hmm. snap against Cal and he came back and looked like a completely different dude than we saw the first two games. Yep, completely different I mean, dude.
2: He he clearly had fresh legs, but like the biggest thing for me is that he looked confident, right? Like it was it this was the game where I mean he had 50 50 something yards rushing on 10 carries. He had the two, two or three catches for 60 something yards and a touchdown. You were implementing different parts of his game into the game plan, but also for the first time, Brian, it really seemed like he was just confident in his role and confident in what he was doing. And I know that sometimes when you have a three-headed monster, let's call it, right, three different t- types of skill sets, some people will say, well, how are you going to feed every one of the players? Well, after the game, you're looking, you're like, okay, Audric Estime had 17 carries. Chris Tyree had mm-hmm. 15 carries and a couple catches. You're looking at Logan Diggs, he had 10 carries and a couple catches. Like, you were able to spread the wealth, right? give the hammer his his momentum down the stretch in Audric Estimate. Gave Chris Tyree the carries early on to really get the game going a little bit as far as in the running running aspect of the game and just in the space aspect of the game. And then you mixed in Logan Diggs, and I felt really happy for Logan because, like I said, man, like you saw glimpses as a freshman, and then you were excited about him. He gets hurt in the offseason. He comes back early in the season, and it just he doesn't look right. And for the first time this season, he looked right. And when you mix and match all these different skill sets, 230-pound estimate, with the lightning-quick, explosive Chris Tyree, with D- Logan Diggs, who is kind of the best of both worlds, brings a little bit of everything to the table. They all mix so well together. So it's mm-hmm. been really cool to see the maturation of the running back root unit because I feel like they were hindered by the offensive line early on in the year. But the last game and a half especially, last two games – you're really starting to see the the best yeah. of what the running backs can give. I mean, this game, if this North Carolina victory was any indication of how good this running back room could be and just how good this rushing attack could be, how versatile they could be, how just different they could be from a snap-to-snap basis, then Notre Dame's going to be in a good spot. Because the other thing is, not only is it a good spot for the rest of the season, all these guys have more eligibility after this year, right. too. So talk about building for the future the running back room should be very good for the next couple of seasons.
1: Technically, Tyree still has three years left.
2: It's crazy. But I don't man. see him using it because he played his first
1: year as the COVID year, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, technically, now that three includes this year. So it's two after this year. So technically, him and all, all this is crazy. Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs have the same amount of eligibility left. So because of the COVID year. But what you just said, Ryan. What was really good because here's the other thing that 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 about this. What you just said and what you nailed, in my opinion, is just more evidence as to why you need to have big play receivers. And like here's the thing: they have a volume type of receiving situation here where you know Jaden Thomas is gonna catch more passes, but not for a lot of yards. I mean, you know, you're you're you kinda had Lorenzo doing a little bit of that. Salerno's more of a chain mover type of guy. And you don't have enough. Like when when you're doing all the stuff you're doing for the receiving for the running backs, and, and I'm not talking run game, I'm talking pass game. I mean, you look at how they used the backs against Cal. They had eight catches for 87 yards and a touchdown. That was really good usage out of your running backs. Then you look at what they did against uh, against um, uh, North Carolina, and the production was even was even greater. I mean, you had I'm kind of doing the math right now as as quick as I can. Yet eight catches? No, I'm sorry, you had. uh uh, seven catches for 89 yards in a touchdown in the pass game out of your backs. So you're getting a much higher level of production from your running backs in the pass game right now. And mm-hmm. it could even be more. So yep. you don't need receivers that can move the chains and do a bunch of those little things. Use your backs that way. Put receivers and tight ends in the field that can stretch the field to complement them. Because this is about playing complementary football. Tobias, Deion Colsey, Lorenzo, Braden Lindsay, Eli Raritan, the Holden Stays, Kane Barong to a degree. All those guys complement your running backs and and your quarterback. So there's really no argument you can make other than they know the offense better, which we've already yep. dismissed how insane that is, <laughs> to, to, to not play these other guys more. And if you can get Tobias going, because here's the key for me. You need to get Tobias going by November 5th. Now, that doesn't mean you wait till November 5th to play him. What I'm saying is you start getting him in the game against BYU. He doesn't need to have eight catches for under 20 yards. If he does, great. But that's not what we're talking about. Get him in the game for 20 plus snaps and get him the football. Then you've got Stanford. Then you've got UNLV. Then you have Syracuse. And the reality is, if they play like they did against Cal in North Carolina, they beat all of those teams, right? All, all you know, I'm talking about BYU past BYU is what I'm referring to. Yeah. It looks like once you get past UNO, if you get past BYU with a win, with all due respect to Syracuse who's doing it. I mean, Dino's doing a really good job of that football team this year. They've got a good defense. They're a quality football team. But if you play like you did against North Carolina and Cal, you're, you're, you're probably going to win that game, yes. right? may not be as pretty as you want, but you're going to win that game. You're going to beat Stanford. You're going to beat UNLV. And so then you start looking at it and say, okay, well now, now you're getting ready to go play UNL or play Clemson. And now that's when you're, that's when you've really got to have those guys ready to play. Yep. And so if you can have to if you can spend these next four games getting Tobias more and more and more a part of the offense, that's you know, the last four games are gonna need him, really the first and the fourth of that last final stretch. And so to me, you gotta do it now because you're gonna need him, you're gonna need Eli Raritan. and you're gonna need Holden Stace. You're gonna need some of those guys to make plays against those teams if you wanna win. You know, Clemson is the one defense that I see left on the schedule, athletic enough to say, we're not going to let Michael Mayer beat us. Other teams can try. They're the only ones that have the personnel to maybe do it. And so you're going to then say, okay, fine. We're going to ride Jaden Thomas and Matt Salerno to victory. Right? No, you're not. Right? <laughs> and so to me, that's why you need to like now, start getting Tobias, yeah. it's a great compliment. He's your best, most talented player. It fits your quarterback. That there's nothing but good reasons to get him going. It's got to happen now. It's got to happen. Now. And I'm hoping they've already done it during a bye week. They've already taken their. They've already put the work in. But at some point in time, Tommy Reese got to say, "Hey, look, I'm going to give him a chance to go out there and play. I'm going to live with the mistakes. You got to live with. The, hey, you were willing to let Jaden Thomas get picked off for for a touchdown. You were willing to let him watch him get outplayed for a football with the game on the line and run back for. T- you were willing to accept that. Against Marshall. Against Marshall. Right. You're willing to accept that. You're willing okay. to accept Matt Salerno getting getting called for an offensive pass interference in a in a situation that you had a lead again on the road against Ohio State. You're willing to live with Brayden Lindsay killing a drive because him and your quarterback weren't you know on the same page and he gets called for a false start. You were willing to live with all the stuff Lorenzo Styles has done this year half speed routes, dropping third and fours, you know, stuff like that you know, not laying out for a football against Ohio State. You're you're willing to live with those mistakes, but Tobias doesn't go in motion once and he's done for the next two games. That's that's stupidity is what yes. that is. Right? Why is the freshman held to a higher standard than the older players? It should be the other way around. Yep. And it's the it's it's insanity to me. So we spent most of our time talking about the offense, Ryan, for good reason, because that's yes. the side of the ball that needs the most attention. As we said if the Notre Dame defense plays like it did in three of the four games this year, they were not good against Marshall. Nobody was good against Marshall, but even then they still held them to 19 points. Right. But the reality is because they scored 26, but so, pick six, right. Doesn't count against your defense. It does on your know, total you know, scoring defense number, but it doesn't count, you know, against the defense. They've played good enough to, to be four and right now, in my opinion, and they really have. And th- if they just play this way the rest of the year, they've got a chance to beat everybody. It'll be harder against Clemson and especially USC if you play this way. But they've played good enough to win. There are areas, however, where this group can be better. And I think the first one, Ryan, is we saw a good step forward at linebacker against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Now, the measuring stick for the off for the defense against Carolina is completely different than the offense against Carolina. You know, like that was a good measure. That's one of the best offenses you're gonna face this year, right? It's definitely top five, right? With Ohio State, with Clemson, with USC and with BYU. Would you put any well anyone else in that top five other than that group? I would no, not
2: I think you got it. Yeah.
1: Unless BYU unless Boston College can play in a seven on seven game. If Boston College can remove line play out of that matchup, then maybe you could put Boston College in that conversation.
2: I, I, I think maybe Syracuse, maybe offensive I mean, guy, skill,
1: no. No, I don't think like offensively. Nah, I yeah. No, nah, I'm not going there yet. I love their run game. They just don't scare me enough on the perimeter. Honestly, oh, me. man, I mean,
2: lo- I like that receiver they got a Rondé Gatson
1: Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. You just party, love him because he's a Rondé Gaston kid, and he's really. Oh nah, man, he's a good they player, play, man. He's a so, good player. Hold on a second, man. Let's talk about a Rondé real quick because uh, I, I want to. You've got a young, tall, athletic receiver that you're just kind of going out there and throwing balls to. Hmm. Yep. And he's not a refined player just yet. Although he's a pretty decent route runner for his age. Imagine that. Yes. Uh but I'm putting I'm putting Carolina over
2: Syracuse with all due respect. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. not,
1: no that, but that's the argument, right? It's like who's going to be in there other than Carolina in that group, right? Oh, I thought I thought I was so, trying to
2: replace BYU. No argument against North Carolina. No, no, no
1: argument. No, I don't <laughs> you can replace BYU all you want. Although I think BYU, once they get their full receiving core back to good health, yep. they'll be they'll be there.
2: That's fair.
0: for the ones who get it done.
1: The test was good for the defense and they passed it outside of four plays. Mm-hmm. But there's still work to be done.
0: Yes.
1: Linebacker play, step in the right direction, Ryan, but we need to see even more improvement from that group. What what are you what do you think that unit needs to do? Number one, outside of stop getting ejected for targeting during in the final eight games of the, of the year.
2: I mean, I think the the one nice thing that you saw from last week's, Brian, is that you, you saw a couple different faces in the unit that I think it was a nice sign. But, I mean, for me, the biggest thing that I took away, and I will give all credit to Al Golden on this one, is I thought that he really kind of zeroed in on what Maris Leifau does well. Like, I really thought that kind of using the versatility of him – I mean, he was playing him on the ball on some third downs. He was playing him kind of in space a little bit more. He was kind of just letting him read and react on the second level, letting him blitz A and B gaps. I think they really took advantage of the versatility that he brings from an alignment perspective, which I think was a great step. So I I just need that to continue to use Maris Leifel the right way. You know, like I think that you need to come to terms that like, hey, he might not be, the best read and react player of all time. But when I put him in a position where I just let him go, let him loose, he's a good football player in that role. So I think just accentuating the role, continue to expand upon it a little bit and making Maris comfortable is a big step. Otherwise I need the other inside linebacker to be a consistent, good football player against the run right now. I think that they're reading a little bit slow and, you know, JD Bertram will be out for the first half of the BYU game, unless it's appealed or whatever, whatever that case might be. But he needs to, when he's in there, play more consistent football, be in the right spot and attack. Like that's the biggest thing. Because I mean, Brian, I mean, I again, this is hyperbolic of me. I know it is, but Prince Kali, for the m- number of plays that he was in there last game, was their best run fill linebacker, and I think yeah. it was pretty substantially the best. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, so I'm at the point with the middle linebacker position, like. If you're not going to do it consistently, I'm going to put Prince Kali in there, man. Just tell him to attack downhill and go. And I'm going to put Junior Tullio Maki in there and let him make mistakes. Like That's where the point that I'm at with the linebacker unit. But for me, ask Maris to do what he does well. The middle linebacker unit needs to be consistent, downhill players. And I need to find an answer at Rover. I need to find a guy that can make plays and could, and could be a more efficient and consistent football player because Jack has not been great the last couple games, hasn't been really good all season. They need to find a way to make that a more productive position in their defense. The rover spot needs to take a step up.
1: Ryan, there are going to be a lot of teams, whether he's playing Rover, Mike, or Will, that are going to watch the last few games of Jack Kaiser and say, we got to find ways to get past game isolations on that guy. I'm shocked Carolina didn't go to it more, to be completely yeah. honest with you. And there was a couple times they wanted to, but they didn't have time you're going to see teams that have better offensive lines that are going to be able to give their quarterbacks a little bit more time. So that's, I I agree with you on that. Jack's either got to play better or they got to find someone else to do it. Whether that's going with more of a true nickel more often and, and just having Tariq Bracey be a starter, you know, as opposed to rotation guy, having it be a Ramon Henderson when he gets back, you know, maybe it's a Xavier Watts type of guy I, I think Xavier could do that role well in a nickel type against I mean against against Clemson especially against USC you know where you're yep. playing a team that's going to you know spread you out more those are types of things that I think you need to, to really look at and that's what is good about bye weeks right like okay and here's why bye weeks are important and we should have we should have discussed at the beginning the bye week is really the first time you can really take a long hard look at yourself you're always going to look at Short of yourself scouting after every game, but you know by Sunday night after a Saturday game, and especially since Notre Dame is, is plays what night uh, you know decent number of night games. You know they've got a night game against Ohio State, they've got a night game coming up against BYU, they got a night game against Stanford, a night game against Cal uh, against um, Clemson. You're probably going to be a night game against USC, and if Notre Dame keeps winning, some of those other games that aren't at home could end up being night games too. You know how ABC like and ESPN are with Notre Dame games. So you within 24 hours of that game being over, you're sitting down as a staff getting ready to put start working on your game plan for next week. That's just that's just kind of how it is. You don't have a lot of time for self-scouting during the season. The the way you can during a bye, you can self-scout, but it's just different than the way you can, where you can spend a couple days saying, Hey guys, okay, here's what we're good at, here's what we're not good at. Is it is it the scheme? Do we need to change the formations that we're running it out of? Do we need to tinker our blocking scheme? Do we need to run it to the open side more than the close side? You know, do we need to do we need to stop running this out of twelve and maybe spread them out a little bit more? Do we need to run it out of twelve more? Uh, do we need to change our personnel? Is there a tell? You know, is our tackle lined up six inches back further when we run this play compared to that play? Which good teams will figure out. I'm not saying that's what Notre Dame is doing. I'm just saying those are things you look for. During a bye week, because you have more time to spend on that stuff, and hopefully Notre Dame has done that on offense and defense, and, def- and and hopefully it results in some personnel changes. There's a lot of positions where I think the personnel changes are just like we saw last week. You know, give Prince Collie a little bit more, a few more snaps. You know, play Junior to Alamaka more at middle linebacker. You know what I mean? And not just as an edge player. You know, just there's a lot of things you need to see done that. Just they're like just little tinkering with the defense, right? But the one that I will look at and point to and say, You definitely got to figure something out there is Rover, yes, because it just has not been good. And you've already tinkered with Will because Will was going into last game, I'd have said Will, but with how Prince played and then how they use Maris, I was like, Okay, if you can kind of use that, and then once Maris gets comfortable in that role, then you can kind of add a little bit more to it and add a little bit more to it and add a little bit more to it, and then it'll be okay. So I think those are things, that tinkering, I think Rover's the one that's got to really see some change. And I think at cornerback, it's it's Cam Hart's got to take this bye week to kind of get his head right. And I don't think Cam's head has been right the first month, and I think the hamstring really messed with him because I don't think he had confidence in himself to just play his game. Even against Ohio State, you saw him getting grabby. You saw him trying to bite on things against North Carolina that normally he wouldn't bite on which got him beat on the first the first drive. There's just some things where, like, that's not the Cam Hart or he's saying, it, and I really think the hamstring was part of it. He, he looked healthier against Carolina. I think this is a week to kind of pull back on him a little bit, get his mind right, and get him back to playing like Cam Hart. That's a very important thing. Other than that, it's just clean up a couple things. Look, Clarence yeah. Lewis got smoked for a long touchdowns because North Carolina, bad play. He's been pretty good up to the point at this point in the year. Right, you don't just write him off because of one bad play, but you gotta say, Clarence, you know, we you of all people can't make that mistake, right? Keep building on Jade Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey and the role they're doing. Keep riding Tariq Bracey until this hot streak ends because he's been playing at a very high level, got beat for that short touchdown on fourth down. Great play, great throw and catch and route by Josh Downs, got him, but you know what? Tariq got him pretty much the rest of the game. Yep. And so uh, you know, you've got to your secondary's played really well. Clean up some of the mistakes continue to focus on tackling better. That's what the secondary is. And then defensive line-wise, I mean, if, if your D-line can kind of play the rest of the year like it has the last two games, Ryan, this is kind of what we thought this defensive line was going to be. Now, neither team had a great offensive line. Now we need to see if they can do it against a better offensive line, and that's what the BYU test is going to tell us a lot. That's yes. going to be a huge test, because I would argue it's BYU has one of the top three offensive lines they're going to face, if not – the best offensive line they're going to face. I think that's debatable, but it's yeah. definitely debatable, meaning they're definitely in that conversation of the best offensive lines are going to play. So if they can do that against that line, because this is your first chance at redemption as a D line since Ohio State.
2: Yep. Well, so, and it's. I mean, for, for me, Brian, I think it's a litmus test for the, for the, for the defensive line, if we're being honest, because, I mean, you went against an Ohio State offensive line that has – Talents and they were playing at a a high level that day, right? Like Paris Johnson had a good game. DeLon Jones had a good game. Donovan Jackson had a pretty good game for the most part in his first career start in a guard. So you, you face a lot of talents at Ohio state and they were better. Justin Fry had done a much better job of getting that team prepared for game one. But to your point, this is a, after a couple easier games as far as the offensive lines you were playing you're now going against Blake Freeland at left tackle, who is a future NFL player, in my opinion, at left tackle, right? You have Clark Barrington, who's a really good college football player, will probably spend a little bit of time in the NFL. They have a right tackle that is a transfer from Oregon. So you have a bunch of talented dudes coming up here, and if Notre Dame can now take the momentum they've been building over the last couple of games and come out and have a dominant performance against the BYU offensive line, that tells me that the growth is real, right? Like this isn't just a – smoke and mirrors you didn't play against gr- two great offensive lines in a row like this shows me now that like hey this defense line is as good as we thought they were this is a big te- big test I don't I, I would be willing to say well defensively for sure that the defensive line is the team that I think you're going to get the best feel for how good they are after this game because that is where the offensive line for BYU is, is going to be a good unit so if they're able to do what they can do and what, what they have done over the last couple of games, it gets a much better offensive line. That tells me that Al Washington and that unit have actually figured it out, and they are trending yep. in that right direction. It's not just playing a bad offensive line anymore.
1: Big key. I thought Foskey and Adam Yola have played pretty well the last two games. Their key. Your dude's got to play like dudes. Riley Mills has continued to get better and better each week. He's been a yep. very underrated He's getting. – I've seen him get a lot of flack. Maybe it's just on the message board. From some, I don't understand why. I think Riley's played pretty well so far this year. I mean, you know, he's He's, doing what he's doing, uh, what he needs to do. They're using him inside and outside. Ryan, you look like you wanted to comment on that. Before I move on to the other players, I'll let you kind of respond to that a
2: little bit. Yeah, no, I was just going to say with Riley, I think that it's a little bit of box score scouting sometimes, right? It's like, you know, he has pressures, but he's not getting sacks. Last week he had the two sacks, so you're kind of like, oh, he's, he's arrived. It's like, well... He's actually right. been playing pretty well. It's just he hasn't sure. finished the first sure. couple of games, right?
1: But he got He got point. two tackles for loss against Carolina, but he had two already coming into the season. He's now tied by Isaiah Foskey for the lead on the team with four tackles for loss. I mean, he's on pace for 12 tackles for loss this year. Yes. and And he hasn't – it's not like he's got a game with, like, th- three of them, right? I mean, he's had – one and a half against Marshall, Tunic Evans, Carolina. He had what at least three or four really good pressures against Ohio State. He was one of the guys that was primary culprit of flushing C.J. Stroud out of the pocket. He's done some good things. Other errors he's got to get better, sure. as True with everybody, but Riley's had a, a good, solid year. He's got to continue to grow. They're f- I think Al Golden, it took Al Golden a while to figure out how to use Justin Ademiola. I think it took him until the third game to figure out how to use Justin. And now I think he sees, oh, so I don't need to worry about what this kid does not practice. I need to just get him out on the field on Saturday and find different ways to get him on the field. Okay, I get it now, right? And I'll tell you something else, Ryan. The last two games, the interior just as a whole of the Notre Dame defensive line has been brilliant. Chris yes. Smith hardly makes any plays on the ball, like just him making a tackle. But he is such a force that knows when he's in the game because he just pushes guys around. And then you counter that with 275-pound Howard Cross, who's lightning quick off the ball. That's a really tough one-two punch. We're seeing more and more of Gabriel Rubio. We've now seen him two games in a row. He, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan, because he's done he's – oh, no, I was, nice I was just going to say, so I had
2: this great clip that I got from the last game or whatever. I never posted it or anything, but it was literally – you had Howard I oh not Howard Cross. You had Chris Smith in three tech and Gabriel Rubio as the nose in this and in this situation. Right. And it was a run towards Chris Smith, and he pressed the offensive guard outside, made the running back have to bend back, and it ended up being him and Gabriel Rubio stopping the player for no gain. I was like, That's an amazing rep, man, because you had two yes. of the guys that we've been talking about as the depth piece. That were both disruptive football players on a single play. So to your point, it's great to see Chris Smith doing a good, solid job, and Gabriel Rubio. You got a little flash of him last game, which is great to see as well.
1: Yes, and he played a little bit against Cal as well. So it's been good to see that. It's it in it, it, what that does too, Ryan. Is that combo right there gives them a chance against some of the teams that maybe are more run oriented if they get to that point. You know that's a look you may want to use against George if you have to play him at some point in time, or against a you know when BYU tries to you know run at you in certain situations, or other teams that may want to be more run oriented. It gives you a chance to kind of have some beef up the middle with those two guys because they can both you know make some plays. I thought Jacob Lacey was steady against Carolina; wasn't as productive, but again, there was there were very few inside reps where I was like, wow, that guy didn't do his job. Very few. There's a couple early you know contain. They settled down, did a better job of that. That's obviously something that's got to continue as well. You know, they 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 had that one drive against Drake May. After that, they pretty much shut down the contain. I thought at times they sacrificed the interior pass rush because of that, which I can live with if your ends are really hitting it hard and they were against Carolina. I mean, that edge pocket was collapsing in a hurry. Even on plays where they weren't getting to him, they were blowing the tackles back into the backfield. So I thought that was good. I thought they were very disruptive. We saw Drake May come very close to multiple turnovers in this game. He did have the one. There was a couple times where – I'll tell you something that Drake May did. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, and I think you and I talked about this. There was at least two or three plays that I thought Drake May was about to throw a curl or an out, and he got to, like, here, and he was like, oh, dude, that guy just jumped it, and he just drove it into the ground. Where I think if he tries to throw the route he was going to try to throw, it's probably get picked off. Like, that's the kind of disruption and the kind of stickiness we saw at times in the back end of the defense that maybe you can't see on TV. Ryan, I ask you because you get a chance to watch the All-22. I was there. I also got a chance to watch the All-22. I think people that only watch on TV saw the four big plays, and they don't realize outside of those four big plays, they were all over the North Carolina receivers in that game. Even the one big play that Jaden Mickey gave up, he was right in that dude's hip pocket. It was a great ball by Drake May, first of all. And Jaden mistimed his jump. It was also a great ball. And, and um, you know, so, so the secondary needs to keep doing what they're doing, just clean up some of the little mistakes. Front four, Fosky still has another level I think he can and needs to get to. I need to see him take over a game or two again moving forward. He did that multiple times last year. Only seen him do it really once so far. I will say this, though, about Fosky. He wasn't dominant against North Carolina the way he was last year. We'd have like five, six pressures and two sacks. But that was one of the most consistently good games that I've seen from Foskey in a long time. And you mentioned this to me afterwards too, Ryan, is he showed that for for one of the few times in his career, and this is a good sign, he showed that he can dominate a game without having a bunch of pass rushes. Now he had some pass rushes in this game. Don't don't get me wrong. Isaiah Foskey had some good pass rushes. But there was times in the last year where he'd have like six or seven just brilliant pass rushes, and then that's kind of all he did. He was so good all around. This was our, one of his best all-around games, I thought, was against North Carolina this past week, coming off of what was also one of the best games of his career against Cal, which is a great sign for Foskey.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Brian, like the thing that's been inconsistent with Isaiah, even like going back to last year, was sometimes he's like he's got really powerful hands, but it's not always like super active hands, you know, kind of getting in and working and and getting off the getting off blocks. And this game against North Carolina, I mean, there was a couple clips that I think I posted on on the board where like he is pressing at the point of attack. Engaging, getting off of blocks, working against pulling guards, and keep you know staying square. I thought it was a really good technical game from him, especially in the run game. I thought he did a tremendous job in that department. So I agree completely with you. And and the cornerback, or I should just say the secondary play in general. I thought the secondary was sticky against North Carolina. Like I thought they were in really good position. I thought that they were playing good coverage. Again, there was two really bad coverage busts in the game. Like two really yeah. bad where I'm just kind of like. It was so bad. I'm just kind of like, I don't know what he was thinking, actually. Like, I don't know. Right. I, I Like, on that one with Cam Hart, like, I truly do not know what his process was during that play. Like, I yeah. can't tell you. I don't know. I've speculated a couple different things. I don't truly know. But to that point, for the most part, they're they're playing well. They play well. Yeah. I mean, it, Drake May, I, I came out of that game, and I would say this. I think Drake May is the real deal. I think he's going to yes. be the real deal. Oh, yeah. I think he – he did have moments where he was kind of second-guess his reads because windows were closing a lot faster than they probably had been the first three He hadn't games. seen that. And this
1: is what no. we said going into the game. They hadn't seen a defense – he hadn't seen a defense with this kind of speed before, where yeah. guys were open coming out of their breaks, he thought, and then by the time he got to here, it was like, that guy ain't open anymore. You know what exactly. I mean? And, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, so that was a positive sign. Here's a question for you, Ryan. Yep. Who has been Notre Dame's best – Cover player in the secondary through the first four games in totality. Who's been their best cover player through the first four games?
2: That's uh, Tariq bracy I, I, I don't even, is is there can't. anybody even cl- I mean, nope, nope,
1: not even close. I, who's I don't number even two? Think anybody's close? I was nope, thinking not even uh, number close. Two. who's number two? Because I'm setting you up for this one. Who's number two, in your opinion? Who's been their Probably best consistently? bingo? Yeah. Bingo. He's been so good. Yeah, he's been outside really of that good. one
2: bust. Outside of that one bust from Clarence Lewis's past game, though, I think yeah. Cl- Lewis is close. But I would say it's probably Morrison with snaps snap, that. Here, here, here's the difference. They're not
1: asking yep. Clarence to play a lot of man. True. They're and they're letting him play off, and that's a credit to Al Golden, Mike Mickens for finding what Clarence Lewis is comfortable with and letting him go play. But yes. as first just coming up, as far as just coming up playing man, Benjamin Morrison's been really good. Which is I'll why say this too. Hardy,
2: yeah. No, it's, it's been great to see. Benjamin Morrison. Yeah. Going back to Tariq Bracey, Brian, again, like I just want to take every, for, for what we've seen so far through four weeks, I just want to take this opportunity as much as I can to say, good for that kid, man. He has battled yes. a lot of adversity during his career. And I mean, I don't think this is hyperbolic to say like, he might be a draftable nickel right now in, yes. on the next level with how he's played this season so far. So just he's really happy well. for that kid yeah. fighting through adversity.
1: Yeah, we know he's going to test well. The yeah. problem he's going to have, he's going to have some really good film to show people. Going all the way back to like 2018 against Florida State and Pitt and and then uh, 2019 against Georgia. There's going to be some games, some really good film. There's going to be some pretty bad film yes. for him too. What he's showing this year is that he can consistently play and run. Now he's got to continue that and he's going to really get tested in the second half of the year. BYU's got some really savvy kids. Clemson's going to throw some bigger kids at him. USC's going to have some great receivers throw at him. He's going to get stuck in some matchups against Zay Flowers. I mean, he's going to get tested yep. in the final eight games of the year. But he's also been tested so far this year. I mean, sure you know, first four <laughs> games, he's been tested pretty good. And yep. he's helped, certainly held up for that. But Benjamin Morrison has been an, a pleasant surprise from someone who graded him as a top 100 recruit. I thought Benj- I thought this is what we would get from Benjamin Morrison next year. Yeah. What we're seeing this right now is what I thought he would be next year. And so that's been a pleasant surprise. It also says a lot about what this defense could be that in the conversation you just, you and I just had, because I wanted to see, this is why I wanted to kind of keep going down the list with you. You didn't even think twice about saying Cam Hart. No. Because he hasn't, he has been, in my opinion, at best, at best, Their third corner so far. Now again, we uh, we we think we know why. I really think the hamstring got in his head. But what I'm saying is that's not. This is not. This is not being said as an insult to Cam Hart. This is actually a good thing. This is where you need to be as a football team. This is the kind of coach you need coaching your corners where your best player and Cam Hart is still their best corner. Your best corner has been arguably your third or fourth best corner and actual play, and you're still really good. Cam Mm -hmm. Hart's eventually going to figure it out. He's too good. He cares too much. He works too hard not to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. Now it's like, but now Tariq and Benjamin and Clarence have all stepped up, and now when Cam Cam figures it out, now all of a sudden your secondary is going to be really good. And that's an encouraging thing. And I think, I hope that Mike Mickens has had that conversation with with Cam during this bye week. Hey, look, man, stop trying to go prove to everyone you're an All-American on every single play. Just do your job, right? Mm-hmm. Just do your job. Be the guy I know you can be because these other dudes are stepping up around you. If we can get you playing to where we think you can be, boy, this secondary becomes a really good deal. I also thought we saw the first glimpses of what Xavier Watts can be as a safety as well. Yeah, the one play I, I agree with you on the touchdown to, to uh was a touchdown to Clarence Lewis or was it the long throw to
2: it was, Jay? It was One of
1: those two, he took a two-level of an angle. He didn't get over top. Yeah, it enough. was
2: it was it was the one against Clarence. Clarence kind of let him loose on cover two, and then it was just a really steep angle from right. Xavier Watts coming over.
1: Other than that, we saw some really good things from him. You know, again, yep. he's got to clean up some stuff. His angles aren't always the best coming down to the football or in coverage, but we started to see how just how how. He, has a, he plays at a different gear than the other safeties. Just from an explosiveness standpoint, a speed standpoint, I'd still play him a receiver. I think it's a missed opportunity not to put him a receiver, but it is what it is. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So we're not going to keep talking about something that's just not going to happen. So I, I, I just I think he hit, getting him, Houston Griffith has been steady. DJ Brown's been steady. He had a couple plays I really thought he should have done better against North Carolina. But overall, he's been steady. And Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph has been good. Right? He hasn't yeah. been great since the opener, but he's been good. Secondary is playing a high level. The D-line can keep building on what it's been to. I'll say this. Clean up four plays against North Carolina, and this is what the defense is capable of being. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Like That's what this defense should be. And 100%. so uh, third down defense has got to get better. But a big part of it, it was better against North Carolina. It still needs to get better. And a big part of that is going to have to be continue to get better in the run game and containing the quarterbacks. They finally had a good run game, uh, a, a really good run defense performance against North Carolina. Uh, that was a great sign because I want to. I want to context is important, right, Ryan? Right? And I want to put some context into this North Carolina game. North Carolina rushed for sixty six yards on Saturday against North Carolina, Notre Dame. They ran for one hundred eighty three, two fifteen, and three fourteen in the previous three games. But you know those teams are not that good. Last year against Georgia Tech, they ran for sixty three in two thousand and twenty they didn't have a single performance lower in 2019. They, their lowest that year was 97. What Notre Dame did to North Carolina on Saturday was the second worst rushing performance in four years under Phil Longo. So some context, right? And so that, that was a really, really good performance. So I, uh, First time they haven't rushed for a touchdown in the game, also since the season opener against Virginia Tech last year, when they didn't when they only scored ten points. So we saw some steps in the right direction. Now they got to yeah. continue to build on that because b- being good against the run is priority number one for Notre Dame in the second half of the year. BYU will try to run on them. Clemson will try to run on them. Syracuse will definitely try to run on them. USC will try to run on them. If, if, they, if you don't respect it, USC is more willing to, to use the run now than they have in the past under the previous head coach. So run defense is the other big part of that, too, that has to continue to get better and better and better. North Carolina is a step, big step in the right direction. We're really the last two games, outside of quarterback scrambles, you've shut down the run game completely the last two games. Running backs have done nothing against Notre Dame the last two weeks outside of one run by the Cal kid two, two weeks ago. They've really yeah. done almost nothing. And that's a. And it wasn't even. I
2: mean, it's not even their best kid. I mean, like you said, Jay Not just ran for two hundred and seventy something yards this past week, and the previous week against Notre Dame, he ran for what thirty three or something like that. Like he had, like thirty three yards rushing. So mm-hmm. Notre Dame's kind of been building. Because I mean, honestly, Brian, like you want to talk about a gut check moment against Marshall? Like they were just Marshall was just a more physical football team than they were in in the in from an off from their offensive line perspective to Notre Dame's defensive line and linebackers. Like they. I mean, the, the kid LaVorne ran for 160 yards against Notre Dame. Like, it was that – we not talk about a gut check and a reality check, like, that's the game, man. But so the last two weeks, give Notre Dame a little bit of credit, right? Like, they didn't pack it in and just say, like, wow, we stink, man. Like, what are we going to do next, yeah. right? Like, they were kind of like, okay, we need to fix this. Well, like, we're going to stop a dynamic freshman in Jay Nott and limit him, right? They need to do better against scrambling quarterbacks, there's no doubt. But, I mean – they have been averaging a really nice total North Carolina per carry from the running backs the first few games. Like, we agree that we didn't think that they were, like, the greatest players. Like, I think they're, they're good players. So the Hampton kid, mm-hmm. Petaway, good. Like, they're good football players. When they got they shut down and, the running And backs. Another,
1: another kid back that game, too, that they didn't have the two yep. previous games. And they exactly. had Josh Downs for the first time since the opener,
2: yep. which factored yep.
1: into just another weapon you had to, to think about. In the run game. So,
2: yes, yeah. you're correct. And, and I like that this this kind of combines two points that we've talked about a little mm-hmm. bit, right? It's defensive line, keep ascending. You're, you're heading in the right direction. I think we've seen that the last two weeks. I think you definitely saw it against North Carolina. And that goes not even just past game production, right? Like that's, you know, doing the little things, taking on double teams, locking out the point of attack, getting off blocks, all those good things. And then the linebacker play, I think, has been better, right? Or at least it was last game. It was definitely better than the first three. The first three, Notre Dame's linebackers, were a major issue. Absolute major issue. I can't believe that they stopped the run as well against Cal as they did based upon how their linebackers played that game. Like I just did not think they played well, but it was a step in the right direction. So the first and second level of your defense is getting better. And you'll need them to be better because like you said, if BYU is able to just run the football down your throat, they will. When Clemson Absolutely. comes when when you have to play against Clemson in, at home, like Will Shipley and Kobe Pace and those dudes, you're going to run the football. There's no doubt. So mm-hmm. the better teams on your schedule coming up are running head, are teams that want to run the football. So I think, again, mm-hmm. headed in the right direction, but now you need yeah. to prove it against a better offensive line this week, against a better running games uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think it's a massive step for Notre Dame, but they need to continue to exponentially improve every week.
1: Because you talked about Jay Not Ryan, and, and just a little context for Jay Not in the in the the three games Not against Notre Dame, he had 17 carries for 104 yards, 6.1 per carry, seven carries for 52 yards, uh, 7.4 per carry, and also in that game had uh, a touchdown catch in that game. And then the yep. other game, he's coming off against Arizona, as you mentioned, 19 carries for 274 yards and three touchdowns. I didn't know the freshmen were allowed to touch the ball that much in a game. I'm, I'm still a little surprised by that. I thought that was against the rules. Uh, the freshmen weren't allowed to be uh, offered. Jade Knott apparently can play as a freshman, but Tobias Merriweather cannot. Uh, but anyway, it's a different comment for a different day. Uh, then it against our name, 13 carries for 33 yards, 2.5 per carry. Now, that's because Cal has a bad offensive line, and this is your point. Yes. They're going to play some teams that maybe don't have a jade knot at running back, but have good running backs, but have much better lines. The the combination of the Syracuse line and Sean Tucker with a running court, a quarterback that can run like Garrett Schrader is a scary thing for what we've seen compared for based on what we've seen from Notre Dame defense leading into the North Carolina game. So right now, the North Carolina game needs to be the launching point for the defense when it comes to the run defense, not an anomaly. Yes. As long as that's true, then this defense is going to be even better coming out of the break. And I think the defense could actually benefit more if by just doing what you've been doing, then the offense needs to tinker stuff still. But I think the defense is like, look, you're learning a new coordinator. You're learning new schemes. Just focus on your base stuff this week and keep getting better at that. Because when you're on, you're really good. It's just Mm -hmm. the inconsistency. So, uh, Ryan, we're going to have a mailbag coming up, a, a real brief mailbag here because we do have some super chats, some other things to get to. Uh, but that's going to do it for our breakdown of Notre Dame. We will be back tomorrow. Sean Davis and I will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. for the Countdown to Kickoff show. So 10 a.m. to noon. Sean, Sean and I are going to kind of talk about – we're going to have some fun with you know Notre Dame and, and the break and, and kind of predict some breakout players and make some predictions for Notre Dame coming out of the break. Right. And then he and I are going to preview some of the big games for the week. So uh, normally Ryan and I would do that. We're just going to kind of hold off on that till tomorrow. That's on me. Uh, Ryan was going to do that with me, but because the show started a lot later, we were not able to get that today. So uh, I do apologize for that. But we are going to uh, discuss all that tomorrow. And then, of course, Monday we'll be back on track. And so uh, before we get to the mailbag, obviously, everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast, give us a five star review and obviously continue listen to the Irish Breakdown podcast.